From Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you catching the program on one of our affiliate stations across North America, those of you who take the show with you on your cell phone or your tablet with the uh, Conspiracy Show app. Uh, incidentally, fabulous free download. Uh, those of you who watch and listen on the YouTube channel and join us in the uh, the live YouTube chat, However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, Just a reminder, please check out my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited, Conspiracy Unlimited, new shows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And my other podcast, for those of you who love rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Uh, which is part of the Jericho Network in association with Westwood One, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. If you love rock and roll and you love true crime, rock and roll and the paranormal, uh, check out the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. A new episode drops every Wednesday at midnight, 12 a.m. Eastern. That's available at Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just Google it, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's it's everywhere. Uh, the pastor Carl Gallops is with us as we discuss the Garden of Eden and biblical prophecy. Uh, His new book, The Gods of Ground Zero, is available starting August the 24th. Satan in the Garden, the Tree of Life versus the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. So that brings us to the fruit that uh, Adam and Eve partook of in the Garden. How did the fruit become associated with the apple? As you point out, the apple is never mentioned. But we just assume it's, you know, a snake saying, here, take this apple. But it's not a snake and, and it's not an apple, is it? No. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, the word apple, of course, is not there at all. It does say the word fruit. And it's so funny. You go to some of the old, older commentaries that came out of the Victorian age of, of Europe. And when they start, all they do when they get to Genesis 3 is they argue with each other over what kind of fruit it was. <laughs> When you read it, it's almost comical. But then as you come through that Victorian age where nobody really wanted to talk about the profane things, you start getting more serious, exegetical, contextual connections of the Scripture. And then the scholars started writing, and there is a plethora of scholarly work out there where people see what I'm getting ready to share with your audience here. I'll make some scriptural connections first, and then we'll just speak of it very clearly. So now we know, when we read Genesis 3, and it says the serpent, all right, we know from everything we've already discussed, I'm not going to rehash it all, but we know that that is a metaphor for Satan himself. The book of Revelation clearly says that in its perfect context. I mean, it clearly says it. God said it in Ezekiel 28 when he says, no, you are the guardian cherub. In fact, isn't it funny? Nowhere else does God ever refer to the serpent, the walking, talking snake in the garden. Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. It's just one place. Why is that? Well, because it was a metaphor. But yet we're told in Ezekiel 28 that it's Satan, a guardian cherub. We're told in Revelation that the serpent, the dragon, is Satan. So we're told who it was. So we know that's a metaphor. Now we know the trees are a metaphor. 
the tree of good and evil, the tree of life. I mean, Jesus calls himself the tree of life. We know that Jesus calls Satan basically the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And think about that. I mean, think about everything that God does that's good. Satan takes and perverts it. Everything. I mean, sexuality. Human sexuality, Richard. God created that. Satan mm. didn't create it. Mm-hmm. God created it. And what did he say? And after all of creation, he, behold, he looked at it and he said, behold, it is very good. That included everything. That included our sexuality. That included the whole reproduction process. Everything that God created, he said, this is good. This is meant for good. It's meant for the enjoyment of creation. This is good. But what has Satan done? He has thoroughly corrupted and perverted. The whole world is filled with sexual corruption, sexual perversion, sexual sin from corner to corner of the earth. And it's in the headline news every day, all over the earth. And so now we come to the garden. So when Satan says, okay, I'm not going to call him the serpent now, because the Hebrew word there is nakash, which can also mean a person who is just a sly, conniving, lying, manipulating person. In the same way we said that old snake in the grass lied about me. All right, so nakash, Satan, he says to Eve, eat of this fruit. All right, now, so we have to ask ourselves, is there anywhere else in the Bible that speaks of trees and eating fruit in any kind of a way that's metaphorical but gives us a definition? Yeah, there are. I quote several of them, a couple from Proverbs, a couple from the Song of Solomon, even one in the New Testament. I'll quote that one in just a moment. I'll read it to your audience, that speak of trees in a garden and eating fruit, and every time they're used in the book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Solomon, they are used to speak of sexual perversion, of every single time. Now, now, please hear me. I don't want your audience to go crazy on me and say, he's saying Satan had sex with Eve. I don't say that. That, I mean, that could be what happened. I think it might be even deeper than that, and I'll explain in just a moment. But the reason I don't say that It's because the Bible doesn't say that. See, I'm just sticking to what the Bible says. But the bottom line is, we know the serpent is a metaphor. We know the trees are a metaphor. I mean, Ezekiel 31, God calls Satan a tree in the garden, and the other trees are nations. And I mean, so so that's all used. We know that eating fruit from a tree, Jesus talks about eating bad fruit from a bad tree and false prophecies and being where and judging by a fruit. We know from Song of Solomon and Proverbs that eating fruit from a tree in a garden in a lustful, licentious way tied to sexual immorality, something is corrupting and perverting the flesh and what God had originally created. Well, so what did Adam and Eve eat of? We don't know exactly what happened, but obviously from the fruit of the tree of good and evil, so God created something good, Satan somehow convinced them to pervert it. Now, what did he do? I don't know. And I think that's why the whole thing's couched in a metaphor, so that we don't take a 10-year-old that's just learning the Bible, who in the third chapter runs into an X-rated passage of Scripture. But yet, it's something that they can grasp, and they can be told, look, here's what happens. When you disobey what God tells you, you can ruin your life. They are offered the fruit from the tree of good and evil, which is Satan. Right. So the fruit is Satan. 
well, right, and or the knowledge. See, he speaks of knowledge. So he's right. telling them something. He's showing them something. Maybe he's doing something with them or convincing them to do something. We don't know. I mean, our perverted minds can run wild with this. And I don't write the book to titillate people's right. uh, sexual perversion imagination. I just say what the Bible says. And what is now, the promise, again, that Satan made to Adam oh, yeah. and Eve? He said, if you'll do this. You can have the knowledge. You can have knowledge of everything. You can be like the gods, the little g, the s. And I tell people, don't think too deeply about that. Does that mean the gods are up there, you know, in, in the other dimension just having sex with each other? No, that's not what it says. It's just Satan is saying that I know God gave you these things, and I know God created you a little different than the angels, and he gave you something special, which is your ability to procreate, which is your sexual nature, which, by the way, was declared good. There was nothing dirty about it. But get this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they covered up? Right, right. <laughs> Their sexual organs. Right. And what did they do? They ran and hid from God. I was a law enforcement officer for 11 years in two different sheriff's offices under three different sheriffs. One of those offices, I did some of my own criminal investigations and assisted other criminal investigators. I can just tell you, my mind thinks like a criminal investigator. So you come upon a scene and you say, give me the facts, ma'am, just the facts. You know, okay, well, they went into this building and, you know, and they went in, you know, with no clothes on and they were perfectly innocent, didn't have a clue, but they came running out and they covered themselves, they covered their sexual organs and they ran and hid and, and then they come out and they're ashamed and they're, something devastating happened and, well, two plus two is four, Richard. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, something right. happened in that realm. Now, now, let's hear from the scriptures. Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And then I want to move from there to 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. And then from there I want to move back to Ezekiel 28, because I want you to hear what God's Word says about this that I'm talking about now. And I don't get weird with this. Again, I don't declare the thing. We don't know the thing. It could have been something that we're not even thinking of. It could have been some type of genetic manipulation. Look what's happening with the technology we have now. Right, right. All of this perversion, sex robots, rape robots, child robots. I mean, good gosh, where do we think that's coming from? That knowledge is coming from the demonic realm, artificial intelligence. And I mean, I don't want to get too deep with this. It's nasty. And so it could be something about genetic manipulation. Look what we're doing with gene splicing, CRISPR-Cas9, pigs and humans and animals and humans. I mean, what did God do with Noah's ark in the flood? He got animals, put them on the ark. He said, their flesh is not corrupted. I'm bringing them to you. Noah, you and your family, the only ones that are not corrupted, get on the ark. I'm going to push the reset button and kill everything else. See, we turn Noah's Ark into a little children's bedtime story, too, Richard. But this stuff is serious. That's why I say in my book, man, the Garden of Eden is the reason for everything. I mean, we know about fallen angels and the Nephilim and the commingling of, mm -hmm. you know, the fallen angels taking wives, human wives. Is that possible, then, that maybe that started in the Garden of Eden? It happened I, before. I, I think so, yeah. And if you don't mind, after the break, I'd love to come back and address that a little more thoroughly because there are two major schools of thought on how to interpret that, and I deal with that heavily in my first book, Gods and Thrones. But you've raised a very important point. But you're right. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it all started in the Garden of Eden because we move from Chapter 3, the Garden of Eden. We move right into Genesis Chapter 11, 10, and, or Chapter 6, where we're told that the sons of God, by the way, in the Hebrew, that phrase is b'nai 
Elohim. Where's that word Elohim? God. The sons, B'nai. And every time, every time that exact phrase is used in the Bible, other than Genesis 6 in English translation, every single time it's translated as divine beings or angels. We have to take a time out, Carl. When we come back, we'll pick up on that point. Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Carl. So we left off. We were discussing uh, the Nephilim, fallen angels, commingling with the daughters of men and whether that might be a clue as to what went down in the Garden of Eden, and you wanted yeah. to quote some scripture. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I quote these scriptures, and people who have been listening to this whole broadcast or who will go back and listen to what we set up with it, I think they will see it just as clearly as you and I see it. And, and, and again, as I outline in my book, as many, many, many scholars for hundreds of years have seen it. It's just this stuff's hard to preach on a Sunday morning from the pulpit, brother. It's hard <laughs> to teach in a Sunday school class. That's why you never hear it. And so sure. instead, you pick up a book for your children, and you see a picture of a talking snake, you know, with an apple and a pretty woman, and and then you see Noah's flood, and you see a you know a cartoon character elephant on the ark with a head bigger than you know than the ark itself hanging off, and a giraffes with necks that reach to the sky, and a, a man with a great long white beard, and you know, I mean, it, that's what we relegate all of this to. But the garden is what destroyed everything. The flood is God's reset button. He killed everything. (laughs) I mean, if we can wrap our heads around this and quit making the Bible into a children's bedtime story, we can finally get to the depth of what's really going on here. Now, let's let the Bible speak to itself. 2 Peter chapter 1, this is verse 3 and 4. Peter says, His divine power, that is God, divine means supernatural, otherworldly, other dimension, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may once again participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Oh my gosh. What did Peter just say here? Now, this is interesting because Peter was one of the original disciples. Peter was the first preacher of the first church wherein 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost. Peter was the senior pastor of the first church in downtown Jerusalem. Peter sat at the feet of Jesus. Peter got this from Jesus himself. What did he get? Let me just translate this. He says, look, if you keep your eyes on Jesus because you belong to him, you will live a life that is godly. That means not ungodly. And he says, and through that, then you can be assured of the promises that are coming your way, mainly that your divine nature will be restored. Now, I want your listeners to hear me. I am not saying that we're going to become gods like some of the cults say. Capital G, little s. I'm going to use the English word so people are going to freak out, but then I'll get to the Hebrew. But I am saying we will be restored 
to our original divine nature that can be defined as Elohim, little g, God, S, gods. And all that means is Adam and Eve had that very nature before they lost it. They weren't supposed to die. Their flesh wasn't supposed to rot and corrupt. The world wasn't supposed to be filled with pollution and crime and corruption and death and murder and disease and rape and mayhem and war. But rather, at the restitution of all things, Richard, our divine nature will be restored because all things will be made new. But watch this. He says, and the reason that is, because we will have escaped. These are Peter's words, not mine. We will have escaped the corruption. And that word corruption in the Greek means the rotting process, the decaying process. Well, where did the rotting and the decaying start? In the Garden of Eden. Mm. I mean, the Bible says that all the way through. We will have escaped that corruption that is in this world, listen to this, that came through lust. That's what it says. And the Greek word there is epithumia. Epithumia. Now, this is interesting. Epithumia is a Greek word, and it's found dozens of times in the New Testament. It translates as lust. Some of the more modern translations simply translate it as evil desires. <laughs> right, they right. don't want to use the word lust. Why? Because now we've got to go back to the garden. Why? Because Peter says that's where the whole decaying process started. And Peter said it happened by an act of lust. That ruined everything. You Peter I, said that, brother. When I hear corruption and I hear that it all began in the Garden of Eden, I think about physicists talk about the laws of entropy. Yes. And that's where it began, right? That yep. all things yep. tend towards decay in the universe. Yep, exactly. The laws of entropy. Yeah, one of the laws of thermodynamic. Now watch this. That word epithumia is used oh, well over a dozen times in the New Testament. Every single time except one, it's used in its context, to speak of sexual perversion in the same way we would use. Hmm. Well, he lusted after that girl, and then he raped her. He lusted after that person, and he was unfaithful in his marriage. He lusted. Epithumia, epithumia, epithumia. There's one time, and see, we use it this way, too. I can say, man, there was a bowl of ice cream sitting on the counter the other day with chocolate syrup and a cherry on top, and I was lusting after it. Well, I didn't want to have sex with a bowl of ice cream. All that means is, is I had a deep desire to right. participate with that bowl of ice cream. Okay, Jesus actually uses the word epithumia in the passage of Scripture where he's getting ready to go to the Last Supper, and he tells his disciples, I have longed to eat this supper with you, this last supper. Because he, he knew from there he was going to the cross. From there, the whole process of restoring the divine nature was going to begin. And he actually used the word epithumia in the way we would use the word lust. He was overemphasizing it. He was using hyperbole in the same way I would if I was speaking of lusting after a bowl of ice cream. So it can be used that way. But every other time in the New Testament when epithumia is used, it speaks of sexual perversion and lust. Peter says that's how it started. Now, let's go a little further. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. What are its two main problems? False teachers. Well, what did Jesus say about false teachers? They're bad trees with bad fruit, 
right? Right. False teachers. I mean, he is going on and on about false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. And remember, Jesus called them bad trees, producing bad fruit. Don't eat of that fruit. Do you know what else is going on in the church at Corinth? Sexual perversion. Paul says that was so bad, even the pagans didn't do it. In the first letter to Corinth, it talked about a man having his father's wife. Did that mean he was having sex with his own mother or maybe his stepmother? We don't know, but it was some kind of nastiness that Paul and the early church had to deal with in the first letter to Corinth. Now, in the second letter, listen to what he says. Paul says, chapter 11, starting at verse 2, I am jealous for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. Listen to this, Richard. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Now, he's speaking metaphorically, but, but yet the church is called the, the bride of Christ. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Listen to the next verse. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, your minds may somehow be led astray from your pure devotion to Christ alone. Oh my gosh, that's Paul. Now we've already had Peter telling us that everything started in the garden. All of the corruption came out of epithumia. Now we hear Paul tell the church at Corinth that its two main problems were false prophets and sexual perversion that even the pagans wouldn't participate in. And he says, you're being deceived just like Eve was. All right. So you mentioned earlier, we can't say 100% that Eve, for example, had sex with Satan. But everything seems to be pointing in that direction. Well, not necessarily, but what it's pointing to, I'm only going to say what the Bible says, and I still have one more verse to read, but the bottom line is, it something happened there that involved sexuality. I, listen, when God deals the judgment out in the garden, he calls Adam and Eve, and he calls the serpent, who we now know as Satan. He tells Adam, you're going to work the ground, sweat, briars, etc. It's not going to be a joy for you anymore. He tells Eve, this beautiful gift I gave you of bearing children is now going to be done in pain. You will do it. You will love your children. But it's going to be costly because I'm teaching you a lesson. All right, so what's going to be costly to her? Her womb and the birth process. Now watch this. And what does he tell Satan? Here's your punishment. From the womb of a woman will come a seed that will crush your head. Brother, it's all focused on the womb of the woman mm. and the seed. And that's his death sentence. Death sentence. That's interesting. Because, again, we think of angels as being immortal. Well... They can die. Angels can die. In fact, the death sentence is pronounced on Satan several places. We'll go to Ezekiel 28 again. Verse 12 starts off by saying, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And he speaks of saints. He said, you were in the garden. You were in Eden. You were the seal of perfection, perfect in beauty, on and on. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless when you were created, etc., etc. But he says, but I drove you as a profane thing from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub. All right, now, let me, let me define that, and then I'm going to get to his sentence. 
profane thing. You know what the Hebrew word there? The Hebrew word for profane is chalal. And many times in the Old Testament, I have all this documented in my book, many times that word is used for sexual profanity. For sexual, It says, a man shall not profane his bed. By, shall, shall not chalal his bed by having sex with a woman that's not his wife. I, I'm paraphrasing, but that right. word chalal is there. Right. Over and over we hear phrases like that, chalal, 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 profanity that has to do with sexual perversion. God says in Ezekiel 28 to the guardian cherub, I drove you out of the mount of God and out of the garden because you were chalal. And then... He says, by that, you corrupted your wisdom. You became proud because of your beauty, because of your splendor. Now watch this. So I made a spectacle of you. I threw you to the earth. What do we find in Revelation 12? Beware, earth. Satan has been thrown down to the earth. And he is filled with rage because he knows his time is short. That's what Ezekiel 28 says. But watch this. He says, by your many sins... You have desecrated yourself. He says, so I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And in the end, I will reduce you to ashes in the sight of all who are watching. That's quite a death sentence. All of the nations who (laughs) knew you will be appalled at you because of the horrible end that will come to you, and you will be no more. Now, we're just heading into a break. Just give me a real quick answer on this one. Does that death sentence also extend to all of the angels that fell with him? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about what death okay. and the death sentence means when we come back. All right. I know people are thinking, well, gosh, did they cease to exist? We'll talk about that. Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show. With Richard Sarek. So, Carl, the death sentence for Satan, uh, you burned into ashes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I was asking you whether that death sentence extends to all of his minions that fell to the earth with him when he was cast yeah. out of the throne room. Yes, it does. When we get to Revelation chapter 20, we're faced with the great white throne of judgment. And there it says, death and hell gave up all that were in them. And then it also says that the it says that the 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 beast, which we know as the Antichrist, and Satan, and his angels. Jesus talks about hell was reserved for Satan and his angels. Jude speaks about angels that left their high estate and were imprisoned, waiting on the great white throne of judgment. Peter talks about the same thing. And by the way, they're all related back either to the garden or to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sexual perversion. Mm. They were imprisoned, and then. They're brought before the great white throne, and what does it say happens? They're thrown into the lake of fire. Satan and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan's demons, the angelic realm that fell with him. It says, and and so what is the lake of fire? Well, we don't really know, except that it is eternal separation from God. And what did he tell Satan he would do in Ezekiel 28? I'm going to reduce you to ashes, and you will be no more. Right. So, in other words, you will never, at the end of it all, 
I, I don't know if that means he just ceases to exist, because, again, we've got the laws of entropy. Nothing really ever ceases to exist. You just exist in a different form. You understand that. Yes. Burn a pile of wood. That pile of wood still exists. Every molecule still exists. It's just not as wood. Now it's, it's gas and, and liquids and et cetera. So same thing. I don't know. Lake of fire. I mean, I, yeah, golly. I mean, he, God created the sun. We can't even imagine how hot that is. And that's just a little a match head compared to the lake of fire. (laughs) And that's where Satan and the angels are going. All I know is Ezekiel 28, he says, I will reduce you to ashes and you will be no more. You will come to a horrible end and all of the nations will watch. So, and we read in Revelation 20 where that actually happens. So people say, well, you know, angels can't die. Oh, yes, they can. And they're terrified of it. Fascinating. Now, this is a short segment, but let me ask you this. After the, uh, the flood, when all of the, uh, because the, the gene pool was corrupted, right? People were, were demonic, if, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yep. The Nephilim, the fallen angels commingled with the daughters of men. And so all of the families on earth, save one, their flesh was corrupted. They were demonic. They were part demon. Uh-huh. Am I understanding that correctly? Okay. Well, listen, there's two schools of thought on it. I agree with what you just said. But I want to explain myself very quickly. And again, in Gods and Thrones, I spend several chapters on it. I don't think I talk too deeply about it in Gods of Ground Zero. That's why the two books kind of go together. But yet you can read them each separately. But if you get them both, then you've got this deep theology library (laughs) at home. But anyway, no, here's the deal. In Genesis 6, here's what it says. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it right in front of me. But it says, and in those days... The B'nai Elohim came unto the daughters of men and had children by them. Now, that phrase, had children by them, we immediately think, well, how do we have children? Well, we have sex. Okay. And that could be exactly how it happened. And then we ask questions, yeah, but I thought Jesus said uh, angels don't have sex. Actually, Jesus never said that. He was talking about giving and taking marriage. He said nothing about sex, and that's a whole other thing we can talk about. Again, in Gods and Thrones, I have several chapters on that. But go back to Genesis 6, and the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, every other place where that exact phrase is used in English translation, it's always translated as angels or the divine realm. In Genesis 6, every English translation avoids the heck out of that, and they just say, the sons of God. What they're doing is they're translating it literally because they don't want to deal with saying. There is one translation, one English translation, which is a scholarly translation, and I can't remember which version it is right now, but I've got it listed in Gods and Thrones, that actually says, and in those days angelic beings came unto the daughters of men. Now, the only other explanation that makes any sense at all, and it really doesn't make any sense, is the it's it's very lengthy, but I'll make it short. It's called the Sethite view, the daughters of of, of Seth, et cetera, et cetera, who's descendant of of um, uh, 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 oh gosh, I can't remember now. But anyway, the bottom line is what they're trying to say is well, these are these are human, these are like you know godly men who are marrying ungodly women. But wait, I say stop the car, squeal the brakes. Since when does a godly man who marries a beautiful godless woman create freak giants that cause God to destroy the whole earth? I mean, right, right. I mean that, that doesn't even make sense. It, it, it clearly says that something was happening that's related all the way back to the Garden of Eden. A line has been crossed over. Peter, Jude, they speak of that line. 
angels left their high estate. They did something that was so outrageous, so illegal, so godless, so immoral, so against the word of God and the heart of God, that they were imprisoned for it, waiting for the great white throne of judgment. Yet God is still playing out this whole acting this whole stage, if you will, of, dis- of restoring the divine nature through Jesus Christ and the restitution of all things that is coming when the Lord Jesus returns. That's what life is about. That's what it's all about, Quick. the restoration. It started in the garden, but by the time we get to the flood, something horrible had happened to all flesh. And the Bible says all flesh, not just human flesh. Right. Quick question as we go into a break here. We've got a minute. Was Cain's father Satan? No. The Bible says, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam lay with his wife Eve. Adam lay with his wife Eve. And she became pregnant by Adam and gave birth to Cain. Ah, She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Able. Thank you the for Bible resolving the question. Yeah. It, it does indeed. All right, we'll take a time. Yeah. I'll come back. Carl Gallows, one more segment, and uh, we'll continue to delve into the gods of Ground Zero. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sapp. We're back with Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, available on August the 24th. So, after the flood, after the, the gene pool has been chlorinated, so to speak, and God has gotten rid of the, uh, the corrupted, uh, humans that are also demonic, these hybrids, really, we're talking about hybrids. Uh, so, after the flood then, does it happen again? Uh, is, is the, is the, the human bloodline corrupted? With, with fallen angels? You know, there, there's a lot of speculation about that. There's several different schools of thought. I tend to believe that it happened again. And I also believe it's happening even now to a degree. And let me explain. Because after the flood, everything dies, of course, except for Noah. And, and watch this. And the animals that Noah went out and collected up over the years. No, it's not what the Bible says. The animals that God brought to the ark. He said, I will bring the animals, Noah. Why would God say that? Because only God would know which animals weren't corrupt. Right, right, right. right. Because it says all flesh. All flesh was corrupt. Except there were some animals that weren't, and there were some humans that weren't. Those he put on the ark. But after that, then we read, we get into the scriptures, and we continue to read, and then later on, we find there are more giants. I mean, David himself had to face Goliath and yes. his brothers. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, and and and, and when the uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they sent the the spies into the land. They came back terrified. They said, "Oh my gosh, there's giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers to them." So something has happened again. Some corruption has either happened again or the genetics have lived on somehow. Something has happened. We don't know, brother. We don't know. We don't know the acts that occurred in the Garden of Eden. Is it possible, Carl, that you and I and many of us or all of us are hybrids? How deep do you want to take this program? (laughs) (laughs) You asked me that with 15 minutes left? (laughs) Well, there will be other programs. I pray to the Lord there will be. (laughs) Well, let me just say, 
you know, I don't really know how to answer that right now, but it, 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 I, I suppose it's possible in the realm and scheme of all things, but may I continue to go forward yes. with where I was going? Yes. See, that's the cool thing about this, Richard, and, and I know you've read my book, so you know more right now than you should for this interview because, <laughs> because you've got all of these things in your mind. And so as we unravel one thing, it unravels five or six more things, right? And as I answer one question, then you got ten more questions, and, and that's so cool. It is an and onion. I, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, I love it. I love sitting down with people. And you're so gracious to give me two hours tonight, brother. But I love sitting down with people, people in my church, and doing these studies. I'll just come into the sanctuary on a Sunday night. I'll say, open your Bibles. We're here for however long you want to be here. Let's talk. And we do this stuff right here. So, And we just go to the Scriptures, just like I'm doing. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So it's possible. But think of it now, brother. So you've got Genesis 6 saying, I mean, Genesis 6, that's three chapters after Genesis 3, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Genesis 3 is the garden. God says, I cast you out of it because you were chalal, you were profane. Peter says that what happened in the garden caused all the corruption that's in the world, and it came through lust. Paul says, in 2 Corinthians, I just read it, that the Corinthian church, he was afraid, was going to go the way that Eve went, just like that. Now, get this. So you ask, well, what about, you know, giants afterwards and even today? Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it, but then what I'm going to quote is going to be an exact quote. The paraphrase is this. Jesus said, because the disciples have asked him about the very last days and the return of the Son of Man. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you what the last days, let me tell you what's going to mark the last days. He said it will be just like it was in the days of Noah, and just like it was in the days of Lot. Oh my gosh, Jesus said that. Well, how was it in the days of Noah? All flesh had become corrupted. Why? Some kind of horrific perversion of the flesh, whether that was physical acts or whether it was genetic manipulation going on. Because you see, the divine realm, look at the genetic manipulation we're doing where do you think that, that knowledge comes from? The knowledge to pervert humanity, to pervert the whole realm of sexuality that we can do through science or medical or CRISPR-Cas9 or genetic splicing or engineering. Where, do, where does that knowledge come from? We say, well, that comes, that comes because humans are getting so smart. Actually, God's already pushed the reset button once because all flesh had become corrupted. We don't know what was going on before the flood, brother. The angelic realm, they're not looking at our measly little inventions and scratching. Satan's not scratching his head saying, wow, I didn't know you could do that with a gene. <laughs> He's not scratching. Brother, he came from the throne of God. He was there when God created Adam. He was there when God created Eve. Satan's not scratching his head at what we're doing. I think a lot of this filth is being pumped into the minds of godless people. And so what's happening? We're corrupting all flesh. What did Jesus say 2,000 years ago? He said, right before my return, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. And by the way, that word just is in the scripture. He said, just like. You know what that means. Exactly like the days of Noah. And then he also said, and like the days of Lot. Well, what was Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah. 
What was the characteristic of Sodom and Gomorrah? Sexual perversion of all manner, of all types. Right, right. So, so, well, so Jesus said it's going to be... So, so what's happening? You had the Garden of Eden. Boom. Three chapters later, you've got the B'nai Elohim coming unto the daughters of men. There's freaks and giants and violence and filth and terrorism that fills the earth. God says, oh my gosh, all flesh is corrupt. He says, Noah, your family's about the only ones that aren't. Start building me an ark, and I'm going to bring the animals to you that you need. He puts them on the ark. He destroys everything and starts over. In the meantime, we've had thousands of years of human existence. There have been giants among us still. And in the last days, here we are. And what are we doing? We're corrupting all flesh again. And what did Jesus say? It'll be just like that. So, brother, listen. People say, well, you know, are the demonic realms still among us? I mean, are they disguised? Well, here's, here's my answer to that. We don't know exactly, but I can tell you what the Bible says, and then I can give you educated speculation based upon what the Bible says. The Bible says we do know that angels who are allowed from the throne of God to come down to the hydrothermal vent creatures, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They are allowed to come, and every time an angel appears in the Scripture, they always appear as a human being. And the very most of the time, in fact, I can't think of any time, when they weren't first thought to be human until they finally revealed themselves as angelic. In fact, I've had a couple of those experiences in my own life, which we can talk about on another show one day if you'd like. Amazing couple of times. I didn't know, but then... It was revealed that it was an angelic being. Oh, my gosh. Every time we look in the Scriptures, that's what we see. Now, the question is, can the demonic do the same thing? Because they are fallen angels. Right. Well, probably, and all we can do now is speculate, because the Bible's not real clear on that. It's very clear that that the obedient angels can appear as humans and that they are sent here. As messengers, they don't come just because they want to. They're not like thugs. They don't hang around on the streets just because they can. Probably the demonic realm can, which is why their judgment is coming upon them. Some of them have so overstepped their boundaries that God's already got them in prison. The Which others, ones? Which ones? And and where is that? Prison? I think. Well, I see. I told you it, it makes one question after another, right? Mm-hmm. Which ones? Uh, Jude and Peter both relate it all the way back to before the flood. So they they overstepped their bounds in the days the B'nai Elohim were coming unto the daughters of men. But I what mean, about Satan? He's not locked up. No, because God, that's what I was getting ready to say. God's using all of them. See, Satan, he's so prideful and arrogant. He thinks he's going to overthrow the throne of God. He thinks he's going to be the God of gods. He thinks he's going to sit upon the throne of God himself. He says that in Isaiah 14. He says it through the scriptures. He tells Jesus, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. I mean, that's how prideful he is and how arrogant. His demonic horde that have followed him, that's what they think as well. And so, but the bottom line is, God's using them. He's using them. There's a weeding out process. This is boot camp. This whole thing we call life, it's boot camp. We're not puppets. We're not robots. We have a free will. We're being weeded out, those of us who desire to serve and love and to fellowship with our Creator like it was in the garden, just because we can. 
just because we choose to. And those who say, I don't want any part of that junk. I don't want any part of God's Word. I don't want anything to do with that Jesus stuff. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. That's all silly. I'm going to be my own God. Well, basically what you're doing is you're serving Satan, and he's quite happy to let you be think that you're your own God. He's using you, just like God is using Satan as the weeding out process what was, of the demonic realm. What was in it for Satan? It wasn't whatever he, he in, what transpired in the garden. What did he specifically get out of it by deceiving? I mean, what was he trying to accomplish? Yeah, well, bottom line is this. This is my learned speculation based upon scriptures that are just pouring through my mind right now. Here's the deal. First of all, Satan apparently was the royal regent of the divine realm before God created Adam and Eve and the earthly realm, which was meant to be a place of fellowship between the upper and lower family. That's what Ephesians says. Now, that's what the book of Genesis says, too, by the way. I think probably what happened, and a lot of scholars agree with this, uh, or maybe my views agree with a lot of scholars, let me say it that way, but the bottom line is, I think Satan was floored because Job, the book of Job says that when Adam and Eve were created and the foundations of the earth were laid, that all of heaven rejoiced. The angels sang praises unto God. I think Satan was filled with envy. And then he de- begins to develop a relationship, which is what all of this was about. I mean, we were supposed to have relationship with the divine realm. All of Adam and Eve's children were supposed to have, but 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 the veil was dropped because of the sin. But I think that Satan has a relationship with Adam and Eve. He talks with them. He fellowships with them in the divine realm. We don't know. So a lot of theologians believe that probably was a hundred years from the from the garden creation to the fall. And in those years, decades and decades and decades, Satan got full of himself. And Ezekiel 28 says he was filled with beauty and filled with pride, filled with majesty, filled with wisdom. But then he thought, I want this. I want it all for myself. And I think, and I write about this in Gods of Ground Zero, I think what he knew that he had to do, he had to, in order to bring it down, in order, he knew what would happen. He knew that Adam and Eve would be cut off from the throne of God. He knew he would be. But I think what he did, he knew that he had to do something so chalal, so profane, that God would bring an end to it, and that fellowship would end. And Satan was going to be happy with that. He was going to steal it. That's what it was all about. He wanted to be God of everything that God had created. And if he couldn't, he was going to burn the house down. He's going to burn the house down. Carl, always a delight. The Gods of Ground Zero, available August the 24th. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Listen, brother, I I could talk about this stuff for hours. I mean, this explains everything. We're going to have you back and talk about your angelic encounters, I promise. Thank you. Carl Gallops. All right, back next week, Joe Horn, the ticking time bomb. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.